Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church, and we are so glad that you've chosen to join us this weekend, whether you're joining us in person at the Oregon Stamp Society or whether you're joining us online on Facebook. We are glad that you are joining us. I know that we have uh, interacted with quite a few people over the last several weeks, and so it is very possible that we have visitors, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And so if you look in the comment section on Facebook, you will see a link there posted by Sojourn Church that has a uh, our digital connect card where we uh, don't worry, we're not going to spam you. We just want to gather a little bit of information from you and just, like I said, to get a chance to get to know you a little bit better, uh, especially in this COVID uh, semi-digital age where we'll be able to connect with you and hopefully offer you some uh, further community. That's something that I think we all long for right now. And those of you who are part of Sojourn, I know I've said this week in and week out, but we are starting to gather in person. And I know we want to be wise and careful and maybe wait till even our vaccine is, has arrived. We get all of that and we want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, I just want to remind us as a church that part of our ecclesiology and really what it means to be a church is the gathering of God's people. And so I long for the day and, and strongly encourage all of us to look at when that day can be that we can all gather back together at our space and then also welcome and invite others into that as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Matthew. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. And so go um, find, if, if you look at the very front, it'll kind of tell you where that page is, but find the New Testament, and then you'll see the book of Matthew, and that's where we'll be this morning. Um, even if you're participating from home, I want to encourage you to always have your Bible out, whether it's a paperback physical Bible in front of you, or whether it's the app on your phone or your tablet, because it's important that you are reading these words alongside of whoever it is that's delivering the message, and then also that you can study them on your own. And so let me encourage you to have your Bibles out. If you don't own a Bible, please let us know, and we would love to uh, gift a Bible to you. This morning we'll be in Matthew 6, verse 9. We're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and really we're kind of at this point where it's like a series within a series, because we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Prayer over these next several weeks. And how it is that Jesus modeled prayer for us. Now, this, this section will like us take, when I say several weeks, I mean probably five, six, maybe seven weeks it's going to take us because I really want us to kind of pump the brakes through this section. And the reason being, I feel like most of us, when we would read back through this sermon, we would do quite the opposite. We would usually put our foot on the gas and just fly through this section because we feel like we know the Lord's Prayer and we feel like we know how to pray but I believe it's actually quite the opposite and that most of us still struggle with prayer and that most of us still need to learn how to pray. And so I want to kind of pump the brakes and just really take our time as we go throughout this section to see how it is that Jesus first instructed his disciples to pray and then how it is that we need to learn to pray. It's important to keep in mind the, the context of when this sermon was delivered and who it is that's instructing us here. Because there's some really tough things spoken in the Sermon on the Mount. From the very first week in chapter 5 and verse 1, all the way up until where we are now, it's this countercultural lifestyle. It's, it's these things that are really uncomfortable, if we're honest, and they're honestly, they're really difficult to follow through and to, to, to really um, 
yeah, to, to follow, especially if you're not a Christ follower, which we have to be reminded, it's addressed to those who are Christ followers. But even for us, these things aren't easy apart from the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. But it is Jesus who is instructing us. Jesus, the one who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. You see, Jesus has been describing for us what it looks like to be citizens of his kingdom. And, and what this, what I like to call his Jesus ethic and what it is that he expects for us to live and follow as his followers. It kind of bucks up against the manifesto of the day and even the manifesto in our day, which is why we have called this whole series Kingdom Manifesto. Because we want our lives to be lived and marked by the kingdom of God and living as citizens of his kingdom, wherever it is that he has placed us. For most of us this morning, that's Portland, Oregon. And for others of you tuning in from other parts of the country, that's wherever it is that you live and wherever it is that you work and wherever it is that you play. And so at this point in the sermon, Jesus shifted his attention to the religious attributes. You know, it kind of started out in the first part saying, don't do these things, don't do this. Um, he talked about blessed are those who do certain things, but now he's kind of shifted his focus to the religious attributes. And, and he's focused on these three things at, at this part. First is how it is that you give to the poor, how his followers are to pray, and then soon here in a few weeks, we'll actually look at how it is that we are to fast. And so here we are, we're in this middle section where he's instructing us how it is that we are to pray. Now this section is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. But it's not just some witty section that Jesus adds here, but he's actually instructing those kingdom citizens how it is that you are to uh, converse and commune with God, the God of the universe who created all things, including mankind. Now, remember from last week when we started this section of prayer, we see that Jesus' disciples actually go to him and they say, teach us how to pray. Now, that may not sound very remarkable, but let's think about some of those other options that we looked at last week. They could have asked him how to turn water into wine. I think that's one of the ones I would have definitely asked Jesus. Like, teach me how to turn water into wine, because I just think it'd be really cool at any random's notice, like, hey, let me see your bottle of water. Okay, boom, and all of a sudden it's filled with, I just think that would be fun. It would be, it'd be interesting, a great conversation starter. They could have asked him how to heal people. I mean, this one would have been amazing, especially thinking about the time of COVID, you're like, man, Jesus, teach me how to heal people. So when they get sick or they get a disease that's life-threatening, I can pray over them and just heal them the way that we see you do. Or they can just touch the, the part of my jacket and it will, it will heal them like we see you do. Or they could have asked them how to teach and preach. I mean, I'm trying to improve my preaching. I'm still in a preaching cohort. And, and by God's grace, you guys have stuck with me. And hopefully I'm getting better uh, as the months and years go by. But man, to be taught by Jesus himself how to teach, and like, that would be incredible. But we don't see his disciples ask him any of those things. Instead, the thing that we see them ask Jesus to teach them to do is teach us how to pray. And so if the first disciples of Jesus, his first followers asked him how to teach them how to pray, then I think it would be, all, would be wise for all of us who are Christians. And even if you're not a Christian, especially those of us who are Christians, it would be wise for us to kind of lean in these next several weeks to see how it is that Jesus taught these followers to pray because I believe it's that we will also learn how to pray as we go throughout the section. And once again, regardless if you feel like you know how to pray or regardless if you feel like you have no idea how to pray, you're somewhere in between. Once again, I know there's this familiarity with the passages like this. This is one of my struggles. You read this, you go, yeah, I've heard the Lord's Prayer. I know it. We know how to pray. Let's move on. But as I told you last week, that I've never felt like I have arrived in my own prayer life. 
In fact, I would say that prayer, when you look at spiritual disciplines, prayer is one of the areas that I feel like I've always struggled the most. But I don't believe I'm alone in that. I've talked to enough Christians over the years to, to know I'm not alone in that. And so it wouldn't matter this morning if I were to bring up a Christian who's been following Jesus for five minutes or one who's been following Jesus for 50 years. And I, you know, let's just say I had two people here and I said, do you feel like you are satisfied with your prayer life? I guarantee that both of them would look straight into the camera, straight into your eyes and say, no, I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. So it doesn't matter if it's just been a few minutes or 50 years you've been following Jesus. I guarantee they would not be satisfied. And so last week, what we did is we spent the bulk of our time looking at how not to pray. Kind of a funny title for a sermon on prayer, but how not to pray. That sermon's up on our website, so if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it or wherever it is that you consume a podcast. But this week, we're going to shift, and the main point of our sermon will focus on how to pray, at least how to start in prayer, because once again, we're going to go slow throughout this um, next several verses. And so we know from last week, just kind of a brief refresher, when it tells us how not to pray, it says not to pray like the hypocrites. Don't, don't go out and pray and just be loud so that you'll be heard and seen by other people. I mean, I think about right now, I could go out in my street or in, in the neighborhood and just scream at the top of my lungs and scream praises to God. I could do that. I have the freedom to do that. But why? Aside from them thinking I'm a crazy person, but they would say, man, that, that guy's obviously trying to be seen by other people. We also know from last week that one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian is that of prayer. In other words, if you are a Christian, then you will pray. It's, it's part of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's part of what you do. And so the question then, and kind of where we left off last week, is how do we pray? We've seen how not to pray, but now how it is that we are to pray. And so let me read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer for us, and then we're going to focus on just verse 9 from Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Read with me. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so we see here in verses 9 through 13 that Jesus gives his disciples an example to follow when praying. We see this prayer begins with an invocation, and then we see these six petitions that give proper priorities to how it is that we're to pray. So what we see here is we actually see not just here's how you pray, but we see the order of how it is that we are also to pray, which is something I really want us to pay attention to, the order and how it is that we are to pray. We see the first three petitions, they focus on the preeminence of God, while the final three petitions focus on the personal needs in a community context. Once again, I want you to pay attention to that because I think a lot of times we get the opposite or we totally forget those first three petitions on the preeminence of God and we just kind of jump into personal needs or needs for the community. And so look back at the first part of verse 9. Our Father in heaven. And so we see that Jesus starts by instructing us to use these very descriptive words to describe God by saying, our Father in heaven. Now, he does that because he wants us to know who it is that we are praying to. In other words, it's not just some mystical thing. It's not some made-up God that we are praying to. 
But Jesus wants us to come to God on God's terms. That's why he says our Father in heaven. So we're coming to God on God's terms, not some preconceived ideas that we have of God in our minds, not something that we've just kind of filled in the blank when we think about God. And so Jesus here, he wants us to have a really clear view of who we are praying to when it is that we are praying. We're not just praying to the air. We're, we're not just praying out into the sky. We're not just praying into the nature, but who it is we're actually praying to. Now, he could have easily said, our God, but he doesn't. Jesus very intentionally chooses his words here, and he says, our Father. Now, we hear that, especially if you've been in church for, you know, a few years, you don't feel like that's a very big deal, because there's this big idea of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. We don't have time to go into that today. But to this initial audience, I only think it's important for us to look back to the initial audience. This would have been shocking when hearing Jesus instruct his disciples to refer to God in such a personable manner as Father. The people were so concerned with honoring the name of God, Yahweh, they wouldn't even say it at this time. Certainly not in the public square. So they, would, they actually adopted another name for God, Jehovah. But Jehovah, while it's a suitable term, it gets nowhere near the term that Jesus wants us to pray when saying Father. But then here comes Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and he wrecks all of our preconceived ideas. Jesus comes in and he turns things completely upside down. So Jesus arrives on the scene and he almost exclusively refers to God as fathers, as father. We see this 60 plus times across the four gospels that Jesus calls God dad. And what's mind blowing is not that he does it because Jesus is the son of God. What's mind blowing is that then he then instructs us disciples of Jesus to do the same. He instructs us to call God Father. So Jesus even calls him Abba, which there's not actually an equivalent in English for us. The best that we can do and come up with is daddy or dad. So imagine coming to a prayer meeting. And, and let's just say we're in person and it's not on Zoom or something like that. Imagine we come to a prayer meeting. Room's full of people but you're new to church. Maybe you're not even sure if you're a Christian yet. And you just say, I'm going to show up to this thing. And some guy over in the corner starts praying. And in his prayer, he starts out saying, Daddy. Now, what do you think in that moment? You stop and think, what kind of weird cult is this that they're praying to their, their daddy? I mean, you're looking around and say, where's this guy's biological father that they're all praying to, lifting their hands to right now? You would think that this was some kind of weird cult that you had stumbled into in Portland. And so I've got a few points I want us to look at this morning from just this one verse. Point number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus instructs us to interact with God as our Father. Jesus instructs us to interact with God as our Father. So as think about it. Part of what it means to be a Christian is you're looking to God as your Father. Jesus includes the disciples and excludes the hypocrites here by saying, our Father. And by calling God Father, Jesus is focusing on his own relationship as the Son and the kind of relationship that he wants all of us to have with God. Anything about our sonship or daughtership with God as Father derives from and participates in the Son's relationship to the Father. And so Christians often want to know, how it is that I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Now, depending on what tradition you grew up in, you're going to answer that differently. Some think, if you grew up in like a Baptist tradition, that you simply have the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. 
Others think that you have to speak in tongues or roll on the floor as evidence of the Holy Spirit. But this here, this verse teaches us one of those ways to know that you have the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's funny because it's hardly ever taught. But one of the ways that you know that you have the Holy Spirit in your life is by interacting with God as your dad. Okay, let me read for you Romans 8.15, the second part of Romans 8.15. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so our point number one, again, is Jesus instructs us to interact with God as our father. Point number two is the closeness of a good father brings us certainty that we are loved. By calling God Father, Jesus focuses on his own relationship as his son and the kind of relationships he wants all of us to have. As it reminds us in John 10, 30, it says, I and the Father are one. So first comes our sonship or the familiar relationship with God as Father, and that derives from the participation in the son's relationship to the Father. Now, let's be clear here. We are not equal children to Jesus, but we are sons and daughters through the relationship we have with the Son, which allows us to have the access and the relationship to the Father. And so by faith in Jesus, you and I are adopted and given all the equal rights as sons and daughters of God. And so this morning, if you say, I'm not sure or I'm not there yet, you can be adopted into the family of God. We'd love to walk you through that process. And our praying then, our posture of prayer should be on the basis of that position and the purpose of nurturing that relationship. The fact that we are sons and daughters, God has adopted us into his family through the blood of Jesus, which is what our time with God should be about most. Our time with God in prayer should be mostly about God. Now, if you're wondering if you're loved by God, think about it for just a minute. If you, if you ever had that moment, maybe, maybe you've been in a season of sin, some kind of habitual sin, or, you, or you've just done something recently this week and you just think, man, I don't, I don't see how God could love me. I couldn't even love me. So if you're wondering if you're loved by God, think about it for a minute. He invites you to call him dad. That's a very intimate relationship. That's a very familial relationship. And so we see that God draws you in and invites you into intimacy with him. This should cause us as children of God to be secure in our identity because if you are a child of God, there leaves no room or, or reason for striving. What I mean by that, there's nothing that you have to do to earn your salvation or your place as a son or daughter of God. It's all been done and paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and you have now been welcomed into the family of God. And so your identity should be secure in God as your father. Now imagine the power and privilege of actually knowing God is our dad. We talked about this last week, that if we had access to someone in a high place with high power, that on a moment's notice, we could hit a number and it would speed out of them. We could say, I need your help, or I just want to talk to you, or I need this to change. But the reality is we have that. You would utilize that if you had that in this life, but you have that in the power of God, that you could talk to God at any moment of your life. And your God who listens, the God who loves you, who's our good, good father, and God is our dad. He gives us access to himself. God is not some distant God. God is not some God just ruling from the throne and saying, stay away from me. God gives us access to himself. Think about my kids, my three little boys that most of you know are, they're adorable, but they're a handful. But 
They have access to me whenever they want. Even though there's moments I don't want them to have access to me, they have access to me. Why? Because I'm their dad and they're my sons. And so at 2.30 in the morning, mom's going to be very upset this happens, but at 2.30 in the morning, one of them runs into the room and they need something. We're there for them. They have access to us. Yeah, we might ask them why they woke us up, but they have access to us. Even right now, as I'm doing the recording part of this for our weekend gathering, if, if one of them needed, they could have access to me because I'm their dad and they're my sons. In the same way, we have access to God our Father all the time. With God, your Father, you can know that you, you are forgiven even when you mess up. Think about children with loving fathers. What do, you, what do you want your child to do when they're in trouble? You don't want them to run away from you. You want them to run to you because you're their father and you love them and you want the best for them even if you're upset that they messed up. This is why I love the story of the prodigal son so much. We don't see the prodigal son return and his father shun him and change the locks on the doors. No, we see the father run. He sprints towards him. Most of our dads probably couldn't sprint right now if they wanted to, but his dad sprints towards him and opens up and welcomes his son back in. And that is a picture of what God our father does for us. We can even know that we have inheritance in heaven waiting for us as children of God and a good God. He even disciplines us to shape us towards the desired outcome of us as he shapes us more and more into a picture of his children and, and complete and wholeness. Now, I want to recognize something. For some of you, this message might be really hard. Here's why. Because maybe your dad has been a major obstacle in your life. Now, I've had a great dad. Dad, thank you. I know you're watching this morning, so thank you. But my dad's not perfect. So sorry, dad, if you thought you maybe you were, but I don't think you do. But I have, I've had a great dad. I've got a great relationship with my father, one of my best friends on this earth. But some of you haven't been so fortunate as I have. Some of you perhaps have had an absent dad. And maybe some of you can't even connect with your dad and he's just never around. Maybe your dad's just completely abandoned you. So I want to say I'm sorry. I want, to, I want to be sensitive to that. We as a church want to be sensitive to that reality. Some of you maybe feel like you've worked your whole life for the approval of your father, only to not know if you still have it. And now you're in your adult years, and you just say, I don't know. I worked so hard as a kid, but I still don't know if I have it. Or, or, or maybe you feel like you have to perform well to keep your father's approval. Like when things are going really well, and you do something, and you're successful, your dad's all there, and he's, 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 he's uh, present in your life. And then maybe when you're not doing so hot and things aren't going so well, son, he just disappears. And so some of you maybe even have dads who are abusive, and the mere word father causes triggers for you. So once again, I and we want to be sensitive to that as a church. But I want you to know this, that what Jesus is describing here, our father in heaven is different as he is a picture of the perfect father, the perfect father that none of our fathers could ever attain to because he is a father who is perfect. God is a father who is kind. God is a father who is loving. God is a father who is merciful. God is a father who is gracious. God is a father who is near. God is a father who is holy. God is a father who is just. And God is a father who is sovereign. Not like your dad at all. As you see that God, your father in heaven, is entirely different than any of those negative things about your father. And he loves you and he accepts you and he adores you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. So I want us to look back at verse 9. 
We're going to focus on the second part of it here. This is our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so point number three, when you meet God in prayer, your first request is that the name of God would be glorified or lifted high through your life. You see, those who God, those who love God long for God to be honored. Jesus exhorts his first followers to hallow the name of God. Now, what does that word mean? We don't really use that, that word a whole lot. What does it mean that we're asking God's name to be hallowed? Hallowed be your name. Well, the word hallow in Greek means to honor or sanctify, to set apart or to treat with respect. In other words, it means to exalt, place first, place on top the name of God. So we want to come to God, our Father, in prayer, and we want to exalt the name of God. Now, in this context, since it refers to divine action, this petition is a prayer that God will act in a way that glorifies himself. So not that we're the one who are actually doing the, the blessing of God, but that God would glorify himself. And so what Jesus has in mind here is clear. Jesus wants God to act to bring in the kingdom in order to display God's rule. D.A. Carson reminds us, he says, Therefore, to pray to God's name be hallowed, the verbal form of holy, is not to pray that God may become holy, but that he may be treated as holy, that his name should not be despised by the thoughts and conduct of those who have been created in his image. And so this is a reminder for us that all prayer should begin with God. And so Jesus is saying, look, when you start praying, the very first thing out of your mouth should be, God, I want you and your name and your purposes to be lifted above every name and above my own purposes. In other words, approach God in a way that shows that he is both God and that he is your father. This should be the first thing that you pray before you pray anything else. And Jesus modeling for us and teaching us how it is that we are to pray. Now, why does Jesus pray this prayer first? I believe it's actually pretty critical to our understanding. Jesus is using his prayer life to align his heart with God's primary purpose for Jesus' life. Now think about Jesus. Number one goal that Jesus came was to exalt and glorify God. Yes, he came to offer salvation to sinners, but his primary goal was to glorify and exalt God. Now, how do most of us approach God when we pray? If we pray. If you're like me, you have a bad habit of putting ourselves in the center of the story when we pray. And that's not how it's supposed to be. If you're like me, you might start out and just pray about me, 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 my problems, my issues, my wants, my desires, my needs, my family. And there is a place for those things. But that's not how Jesus teaches us to pray. It says that Jesus came to exalt and glorify the Father. John 13, 31 reminds us. It says, Jesus came so that the name of God would be hallowed. In other words, Jesus is using his prayer life to remind his heart of his primary purpose in life. So what about us today? What does that look like? Is it critical that this is the primary aim and the first thing we pray for? I mean, is it really that big of a deal, Matt? I mean, can't we just kind of jump in and pray about, you know, my uncle who's sick and my parents who need this, my kids who need this, and kind of some things I got going on? Can't we, can't we do this? Or is, it, is this critical that the primary thing, the first thing we pray for, is what Jesus modeled from here? Yes, I believe this is critical. A couple of reasons why. First, your worship of God 
should always precede your request to God. Say that again. Your worship of God should always precede your request to God. So if you're like me, you have that bad habit of just jumping into kind of my list. But when you look at the Lord's Prayer, what we see is the first three things he prays are all God-centered. The words that show up is your, not me, your. And then, and only then, do you start asking things of God. And so what this does for us, this puts prayer in its proper order as we pray. Think about one of my boys came up to me. Uh, in fact, this morning, one of them came up to me and said, Dad, I got a list for the Super Bowl. They're all excited about the Super Bowl. Now, historically, Sojourners had a Super Bowl party, but uh, we're not doing that this year for obvious reasons. And, but, he, man, they're excited. And so they're giving me their list. And they're like, pizza and Doritos and nachos, all these foods that we don't normally eat, pizza occasion, but most of these foods we don't normally eat. And then he adds, like, some little toys, these things called Teeny Mates that my kids love. And, and it, you know, some Legos. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 what? That, what does that do with the Super Bowl party? So he's asking me for all these things. And then we tell him, this was like first thing this morning, I'm still in bed. When we tell him, no, we're probably we're gonna probably do some of those things. We're not gonna do all those extra things. He got a little upset. And so, uh, you know, it actually made me think of this sermon. I thought, man, if he came in instead, we started telling him, man, there's all kinds of things you could do around the house to earn some money. There's our trees are constantly dropping uh, those little pokeballs and, and sticks and just you, there's stuff you could do like that. And then we might give you money, kind of earn some money, or we might just say, man, we would, you've been working hard on the house. We would we'd love to buy you some more Legos or we'd love to buy you these, these other little things called teeny mates. But instead, he came in to kind of demanded things. Now, my point is not that we do good things to then ask God for things. And so this analogy is kind of a poor analogy and it does break down. That's the best I could come up with that we need to start by going to God and honoring God, exalting God, glorifying God, hallowing the name of God, and then and then only do we bring our list of requests and things before God. And so we can use this prayer to align our hearts with God's primary purpose of our lives. Think about the root of sin. It's choosing to gratify your flesh more than to exalt the glory of God whether you're lying or cheating or stealing or looking at pornography or doing something else, all sin at the root is to gratify your flesh, usually for a momentary pleasure, and it's not to exalt and glorify God. And so when you are in the midst of a struggle, because the reality is that we are all in struggle and we're all in spiritual warfare, the best weapon that you have to fight that struggle is prayer, that you can turn to God. Now, most of us, myself included, if I'm in the moment of temptation, especially from the moment of crossing into sin, the last thing I want to do is talk to God. You know, that's like when you want to be in private and you're hoping not get caught by anyone else, but that's when we should go to God. You say, God, I'm struggling here. God, I want to I want to lie. God, I want to steal. God, I want to look at this thing I know I shouldn't look. God, please help me. That is the time that's almost the most appropriate to cry out to God. Say, God, I want to exalt and glorify you in this moment, and I'm just struggling here. And lay that before God. It's one of the best weapons against our fight of sin. And because our posture in that moment is recognizing that you are God and I am not, and I want you to be exalted in my life. In this moment, if I go into this thing, you won't be exalted. And so God, you are God, I am not, and I want you to be exalted in my life. And so church, we must get to the place where we realize when we pray, we don't need something from God, we need God. So let me say that one one more time for those of you in the cheap seats. We need to get to a place where we realize when we pray, we don't need some, we don't pray so we need something from God. We pray because we need God. And this is how we're going to interact with God, our Father.
And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer over these next several weeks, I don't want us to, to pray this prayer so much as just a petition that God will do some great things and will show up in some miraculous ways, which he does do those things. But I want us to see this prayer as a place to give us the proper attitude toward who God is. And that we'll actually, in, in the next several weeks, that we'll actually feel like we see God more for who he actually is than maybe we ever have before prior to coming into this series. Because this prayer expresses an aspiration that he who is holy will be seen to be holy and treated throughout his creation as holy. And so, church, as we conclude this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want to challenge you to pray that way this week. The first thing when your feet hit the floor, and I've been, as I've been preparing this week, I've been trying to do this. You know, you kind of you hit the alarm, you hit snooze a couple times. But when your feet hit that floor in the morning, I want to encourage you to pray that God's name would be exalted in your life. It can be that, it can be that simple. It can just be, man, I hit my floor, feet hit the floor, I'm so tired, I'm groggy, I haven't had my coffee. God, I want your name to be exalted in my life today. God, I want your name to be exalted in my life today. And I guarantee if you pray that prayer consistently, if you pray that prayer daily, maybe most times throughout the day, that your life and your prayer life will be changed. And so as a way of response this morning, I know it's going to be a little different, interesting with the online component, but I still feel called and led to do this. As we finish this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm just going to give you a minute, maybe two at most. It's kind of built into your day. And so in some ways you might say, man, thanks. You guys built this into my day. It's still part of our gathering, so do not shut off your computer. But I'm just going to let us be silent for maybe a minute, maybe two. Someone might interrupt from my family, but that's okay. Uh, one or two minutes where you can just pray and converse with your followers, just hallow the name of God, and then I will pray to conclude this part of our service today. And so go to your Father in heaven in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, allow us as a church to exalt the name of God above every name. Allow us as a community of people who you have set apart on mission in the city of Portland to exalt your name above every name. God, may we exalt your name above every outreach and above every agenda and purpose and above everything that we're able to do as a church. God, that we would exalt your name above everything. 
God, I want to ask for forgiveness where in my own prayer life, I've gotten this really out of whack and upside down. God, a lot of times I'm guilty of just starting my prayers and just praying through my list of wants and needs like you're Santa Claus. But God, I'll just focus it all on me. And so God, I ask for your forgiveness. God, that you would help me and Sojourn Church and anyone else tuning in this morning, that we get prayer in a proper order. That We'll start out by God exalting your name because you're our Father in heaven and your name is hallowed. God, holy is your name. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to come and die for all mankind, spill his blood as a sacrifice, be crushed on the cross and broken for our sins to come back to life and offer us an opportunity to be adopted as your sons and your daughters. God, we love you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.